Ready? Go. <laughs> Hello, girls and boys, and welcome to Fireside. Don't laugh already. This is going to be a good one. Okay, sorry. Go. Be be good. Me 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 me. Oh, now we Jesus sound like that fuck. stupid just... ad in the cinemas for that bank. <laughs> oh. Anyway, we don't support those guys. Welcome to Fireside, a weekly podcast where we don't support. Well, we do support bank. Yeah, anyway, welcome to Fireside, a weekly podcast in which I chat with. Dan, how about what we've been playing and doing this week? Oh my god. <laughs> One of these days we're going to have a competition where people can go through and they can find the ones that we don't fuck up. <laughs> it's like a Where's Wally yeah. audio. <laughs> Okay, welcome to episode 37 of Fireside. We are a weekly Another Dungeon podcast hosted on the Wooshka... Yeah. Sorry, hang on, no. We are the premium Another Dungeon podcast. <laughs> the one where the discerning gamer comes for yes, their information. Yes. I shouldn't say premium, that makes it sound like we pay. Um, <laughs> and we're part of the Podbros Network. I'm obviously joined by Dan again this week. <coughs> Good evening. <laughs> and... Uh, I'm going to say this at the start this time. If, if you've got any uh, uh, feedback or questions or something you want us to talk about on the show. Insults. Well, what's your email for the insults? <laughs> Dave at... <laughs> um, you can email us at podcast at anotherdungeon.com. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and we have uh, written articles at the website. I'll run through all that at the end, but for those of you that don't make it to the end, say on. Warcraft specials. Um, <laughs> yeah, I thought I'd say them here. Uh, so this week we're doing a second special and talking about water... No, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. I'm taking my beer and getting the hell out. <laughs> we are talking about uh, Hearth, the Viking game that's not really a Viking game. Uh, Transmission, a mobile game, and Forza Horizon 3. But before that, it's time for our first segment, Dave's Quest for Sponsorship. Seem to be with Jingle. Ooh. All right, you say about the beer, I'll open the beer. That's today's the beer is Pintail Pale Ale. When you spot a pintail headed towards the beach, odds are... No, that's got nothing to do with it. There's actually nothing on here. Okay, we'll read that Nice bit. research. When you spot it... <laughs> I only got it today. When you spot a pintail headed towards the beach, odds are the surf is way up. Ooh, and where this board provides balance on big waves, Pintail Pale Ale brings balance to big hops. We wanted to brew a session beer with huge hop flavours, so we created Pintail, a dry hopped pale ale from the West Coast. It's very, um... Very uh, fruity. Yeah, well, right? I mean, that's that, that fruity, hoppy flavour that you get from pales, so... So that's hop. That's, that's the hops flavour, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's right on the mark there. No, 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 I'm not seeking uh, confirmation. I'm asking to educate. Sorry, yes. So that, that sort dickhead of... dickhead Dave here. I need to... I, need to le- I had to do one last week without you and I was lost. I'm like, I don't know how to talk about beer without... No, it's beer. It's yeah. busy and it comes in a brown bottle. Um... Oh, Paul wasn't drinking and you weren't there to say something intelligent. It was terrible. So, yes, uh, that's characteristic of pails, right? So you get that 
slightly that's a lot fruity, sweetish type of taste. That's the, the hop taste. And there's usually a very slight bitterness at the at the end of the at taste. At the very end, yeah. Um, which adds to it nicely. It completely counters that sweetness in one sort of very small mm. microsecond at the end of the taste. Mm. It's got a very distinct fruit fruit flavour, but I can't place it. But we can talk about it at the end. It's a Californian ale, by the way. All the way to us from San Diego. I thought you said it was from Western Australia. No, West Coast. But yeah, West well, I assumed it was West, the West Coast, Coast, US. So did our uh, is he an anonymous donor or is he uh, to be named? Well, I sharpened a bloke's axe and he gave me a six pack and I brought it in today. <laughs> thank you, Glenn. <laughs> I'm not saying thank you yet until we get to the rating at the end. Oh <laughs> yeah, I take it back. Uh, <laughs> so um, um, actually, I was just about to say. I was just about to say a bit of a citrusy uh, bitterness on it, and I just noticed on the top of the it's neck like of the a, bottle, um, American Pale Ale with a floral grapefruit hoppiness and a dry finish, which is actually a oh, there goes accurate my description. Spending the next forty minutes trying to guess a fruit yarsol. <sighs> Stop ruining my game. What's a fruit yarsol? <laughs> fruit yarsol is when you sit on a pineapple. That's <laughs> <laughs> so where you go. Yeah, that's a pineapple on my throat. <laughs> Okay. All right, well, that's the beer. <laughs> that's that's the highbrow section of the podcast. <laughs> okay, so on to our first game. Mm. Um, if we had a jingle, I'd insert it there. I am working on jingles, maybe next week. Uh, working on jingles doesn't mean I'm working on Andy. Jingles. forum name is Jingles. I was going to say, <laughs> is Jingles the name of the neighbour's cat? <laughs> okay, so... Hearth is a two-player strategy game, which is designed to feel and play like a game from the Viking Age. Um, It's incredibly simple to learn, but has an amazing depth. In a way, it's very similar to chess, but um, with a lot less... (laughs) Can you you stop waving at mosquitoes like an idiot while I'm trying to... I'm not waving at them. It's not like I'm saying, bye. Well, you're not catching it, so... Well, I was trying to push it towards you. Yeah, Mr. Miyagi is... Hearth, you say... Yeah, Hearth. Which is... All right. So before we get started, Hearth is H-I-R and then a funny letter. Mm. Um, But according to the the paperwork, it's pronounced Hearth. Yeah. And as I talk about the pieces in this game, I'm not going to use their real names because I can't pronounce them. Oh, yeah. They sound like Ikea furniture. Yeah, that's true. Except all the pieces are in the bag. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to use the dumbass Dave equivalents instead, so... You can deal with that. The uh, So the game is played on a rectangular board which is divided into sections. Uh, each player starts with a, a king piece which they place at the short edge of the board nearest to them. We'll call that, what, a starter square, home That'll square? The start. Start yep. square. Okay, which spans so the entire width of the board. Yep, so yep. that's your that's your start square. Now, like chess, the king is your most valuable piece and similarly, similarly again, results in defeat when it's routed or killed. Players also have Viking warrior pieces and boats. Again, not their real names, but yeah. That'll so they're work. the three pieces. You've got Vikings, you've got boats, and you've got your king. Now, on a player's turn, they can perform five actions. You can place a new piece from your stash onto the starter square. You can move a piece to an adjacent square, attack another square, or if you have Viking warriors and uh, a boat on the same square, you can move Vikings in or out of that boat. The advantage of that last move is that if you move a Viking boat, you only use one action to move the boat and all its occupants rather than... And a boat can take up to four Vikings. Yeah, four Vikings, that's right. Um, so if you try to move on to a square that's occupied by another player, you're considered to be attacking that square. Uh, the way that works... 
is you place your, your pieces, piece or pieces on the, the line that joins the two square and then at the end of your five turns, battle starts. And it's very simple. Each Viking or King is worth one point and boats are also worth a point if they're occupied. If they're empty, they're not worth anything. And then whoever has the highest number is deemed the winner and can occupy the, the, the square. Now, the reason you do battle at the end of your turn is that you can repeat some of your... You can repeat any of those actions as long as you don't exceed the, the, the maximum of five. So the point behind that, I suppose, is so that you can plan and carry out a move and enact your strategy, right? Well, what it could stop is, a say, a fully loaded boat, which is... Just to clarify, a fully loaded boat with four Vikings is worth five. So the boat is worth nothing on its own. It's worth one immediately when occupied, plus the number of occupants it has. Um, that would stop you literally chasing a king off the board with a fully laden boat. Yeah, because you, you can you know, yeah. move, attack, move, attack, move, attack. Exactly. You do that, you yeah. know, an attack is not an action. It's it's technically it's a move into that square. Mm. So really, you could attack and route five times. Yep. You could literally chase a king off the board and effectively win the game. So yeah, yeah. and we found that last game as well. Mm. There was oh, we'll get into that in a mm. sec, but there were a couple of instances where the mechanic. No, I won't get into that now. <laughs> But it's 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 very clever, <laughs> and as you know, as indicated, it allows for an amazing variety in the strategy yeah. that we've played. Like you've won the first game that we played yep. in one particular way. I won that last game, but while I was playing, I thought of a way that you could have at held least, me off, potentially long at least to, delayed to, the inevitable or changed and, the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Um, the other side of of combat is, or the other thing that adds to the strategy is what happens when you're defeated. Yep. So. If you have a Viking person by themselves, not in a boat, and they're defeated in combat, they're removed from the game. The player loses that completely. Well, the round. Um, if a boat is defeated, the boat and all its occupants go back into the player's hands so they can bring them separately onto on the, board the board in subsequent turns. And if your king piece is beaten in battle, they must retreat to one adjacent square. And this is where the trick of Hearth sort of comes into play. So first of all, um, well, actually, no, before we get into that, there are three ways to win the game. One is that you force the other player's king into a position where their only way to retreat is to leave the board. The second way is that you surround another king so that they've got no means of retreat, in which case you kill them when you attack. And the third way is there are five squares in the middle of the board. Uh, so they're the same, say, a 4x4 four four grid, but the centre is a diamond. Yep. Come, on, come on, Pythagorea. Explain that in uh, mathematical terms for the Well, I could, but that, that, would be, that would be far more boring and way, way less time than... It's okay, I, just, I just needed time to have a sip of beer and <laughs> I've done fine. that now. So. But that diamond effectively borders all four squares. Yeah. You can't get from one side to the other without having to cross through that diamond and... This is yeah, where you're leading exactly. into. And, and so the other way you can win around is if you occupy all five of those squares and only one player can occupy a square at any one time, if you occupy all five of them, you, you win as well. Now, I don't know off the top of my head what the points are, but Dan and I have been playing that... We've just been playing... Single the, rounds. Yeah, yeah, single rounds. And when it's over, it's over. The actual real rules are that you get a number of points based on the way you win. And I think it's a first player to five points wins the entire game. Yep. And initially, initially I thought that they did that because... Okay, so in the first game we played, you built up quite a strong army. I built up quite a strong army. Well, not army, <coughs> fleet, yep. whatever, for lack of a better term. You attacked me 
And then I lost a whole bunch of pieces back into my hand. And then you were able to occupy the middle yep. middle bunch of squares. And I thought, okay, there wasn't really any recourse for me in that. And I thought, well, the point system is probably to Provide add some a balance. bit of balance yeah. to that. And in the game we played, well, literally just before this episode, something similar happened where I managed to wipe out most of your boats. Yeah. And you couldn't see a way to win and get enough pieces on the board to block my strategy to do yep. the same thing. Um, which is where we discovered a, an interesting tactic. But I forgot what my point was. <laughs> my point was that I think that's why they did it, but I don't think it's needed because there are ways, now that we know that rule, yeah. there are ways that you can play. Like <clears throat> in the last game, for example, you basically you went back and started rebuilding your fleet immediately, leaving me to conquer the five squares in the middle of the board and yeah. I won. You still had a few pieces left and you could have sacrificed some of them, much like pawns in chess, right? Yeah. You could have sacrificed some of them as a block for me yeah. because I couldn't have... And that would have given you enough time while I took care of your individual what pieces. What I could have done is effectively push deeper into that middle territory, forcing mm. you to either attack me and therefore stop because an attack is a final yeah, move of proceed. your turn. Yeah. Um, and given that my king has the option to retreat if it's available, I could effectively continue to occupy one of those five middle uh, territory segments for at least a couple more turns while I built up more strength back yeah. at the start of the board and move them into position. Yeah, so, so you, you yeah. force me, you, you, you're forcing me to use my And that's when it struck to... us that the design of the mm. board was so very, very clever but subtle in its approach because, because that diamond spans all four middle territory pieces along you know, the sides. So you can't cross from left to right on the board um, without crossing through that diamond. Um, it meant that whoever actually had the diamond was actually in a strong position mm. for a turn or two because you can always make it difficult for your, you know, your opponent to, to effectively cross over yeah. without having to retreat yeah. and then cross over behind the middle territory and back in again. So, mm. um, And I think... It now makes a lot of sense why the segments on the board are laid out exactly the way they are, right down to the starting board. The starting square for each player is effectively spans the entire width of the board. Yeah, it gives you but great the next, versatility <clears throat> movement. Yeah. But the next row, if you like, up is two squares. So you're deciding whether you go left or right. So you know you, you're determining which way around the battleground yeah. you're going to go. Then you hit the middle territory of those five segments. So. It means that there's a tremendous amount of variation in both attack and defence. Mm. Um, but you're not committed at the point that you went to the board. And I think that's a key, uh, that's a key element of the, of the rules, because, or the design rather, because you can amass troops on that starting square and you can hedge your bets either way until you commit to left yeah. or right. Um, but that middle yeah. ground, you, you can't. And then do that it. middle ground, you can't oh, do it to yeah. the detriment of the middle ground, yeah. though, because if you leave that empty too long, uh, that win mechanic really just changes. Like, so in chess, you're always after the king. Yeah. Right. Checkmate, stalemate. They're your options. Yep. And and your goal is to get them on the defensive and then force them into a position where you trap them. That is one way of winning Hearth. But they've added this other element which yeah. forces you not to sit in a defensive pattern and and play like that there's another way it it's amazingly balanced <laughs> while just, at the same yeah. time and this is one of the tricks this is one of the tricks of a good game it is so unbelievably simple i taught lily to play i reckon i could teach indy to play he's uh, h he's 10 
and they'd understand the rules. But the depth of the strategy and the depth of the design is just mind blowing. But how, how have we? How many times have we said on the show that you know a simple seven. enough does seven? Is it seven? Yeah, it could be seven, Dave. Yeah, it could yeah, be. It could be. It could be. Shit at asking questions. Let's know the answer. Well, no. That, that would what do be, I win? That would be called a leading question. Do I win? I don't believe in leading questions. You know that the answer. You know the answer to that, and that's a leading question. Cut this bit out, Dave. Um, <laughs> so, I'll but we said I'll just cut it out and replace it with the other bit. <laughs> we've said a number of times on the show that it's often the simple games that uh, have hidden beneath that that initial perception that you create when you look at it. Mm. A tremendous amount of depth in the in the gameplay that you just go, shit, you know, simple in execution, but uh, you know, lovely complexity in in, in yeah. actual gameplay. You go, wow, that's. Yeah, but that's been the hallmarks, right? So I don't know about you, but this to me strikes me as an extreme example mm. because the mechanics are so simple: move, attack, yep, place the thing on board, get in a boat. That's yeah. it. Yep, that's all you can do. The board is very simple. There's not, you know, Sushi Go is a simple game with very well balanced mechanics, but they've also got a lot of working pieces that make it work. Yeah, Same but with, with Sushi games. Go, there's there's no variation on strategy. They're simply you're deciding what All you're right. gonna. You know uh, what I mean? What's another one? Cogs. Yeah, Cogs, Cogs is another game. A very good. Uh, yeah, too much left to chance. I know where you're coming from, but I'm trying to think of a game. I that think you have now. Snap. <laughs> <laughs> I think again, it's just that it very simple design, but um, the depth of strategy available to you from such a straightforward design. Is, is incredibly well done. It's a it, testament to the rules. I don't know how much... I'd love to know how much player testing went on because um, I reckon they somehow just got it right so well that I can't think of anything I would change about the game. No. There's always there's always something about certain games where you go, oh, I might change this or I might change that or this mechanic annoys me a bit. Nothing about her. Heart, hearth, 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 hearth. Nothing about hearth, to, to, in my mind, is changing. It's just yeah. balanced. Yeah. It's it's mm. maybe the points thing. We also there's a there's a we haven't gone into some of the mechanics like draws and stuff. There's also a coin mechanic. Yeah, we haven't um, tried so that yet. There's a coin in yeah. there as well. And on the note of the coin, that it's going to sound a bit hipsterish, but the presentation of this game is outstanding. It comes <laughs> in a hessian bag, right? They've in the instructions they're talking about how this is a game that Vikings used to play. In the old days, this, that, and the other. And, and you notice a little paragraph down the bottom that says, oh, by the way, this is all made up. Yeah. We've just gone for the law and made a game that you could believe was played like that. And it comes in a hessian bag. The uh, board is a sewn sheet of cloth. Oh, yeah, it's like right? a piece of linen or whatever yeah. with, with stitching on it to, to represent the, the pieces of wood. And metal for the and coin. And metal for the coin. It just like feels like something... Yeah. The Vikings could have played. Exactly. I had no problem believing this was a real Viking game. And then we saw the paragraph. I go, fuck. Well, that's, yeah, hats yeah. off to them. They wrote the law behind it at the same time. They gave it names. Yeah. They go, you know, they gave all the pieces exactly. names. It's just, yeah. So, um, but they're simple as well. Yeah. Viking warriors mm. are a little half sphere. Mm. That's all it is. Painted silver or painted the other. The uh, boats are just a little tray that they can sit in. Yep. The, um, the king is just the a large king sphere. The king is a larger sphere. Yeah. It's so simple and it just works so well. There's no distractions. It's 
it's got that beauty that I feel uh, games like chess have, and I'm not smart enough to enjoy chess properly. <laughs> Neither am I. Because um, my uncle was really good at chess and would take an hour to plan a move sort of thing, so mm, I, was, I was deterred from playing <laughs> chess yeah, at an yeah, early age. Yeah, I went, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm going to go and play HeroQuest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the best thing about HeroQuest <laughs> is avoiding chess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he also loved Meccano, so I went to visit him because he had... Do you remember Meccano? Oh, I loved oh, Meccano. The good, the, the good metal stuff, not the, not the plastic shit they brought back out in the 80s. Was, I didn't even know there was plastic Yeah, there was stuff. a plastic Meccano that, that, that followed in the 80s, but okay, the original metal stuff is what counts. Hmm. All right. Very good. Um, so, actually, before we go... <clears throat> the That's not me putting on my... I'm about to read a bit. Oh, right. Voice. Um, I do want to mention that Amelia has actually done a preview for this game on anotherdungeon.com and she did a video review where she shows off the bag and the pieces and that sort of stuff, which they actually ended up featuring on their Kickstarter. So if you're interested in that, um, it was enough to make me buy the game. Um, I didn't get a free copy of it, but um, it's, yeah, it has really blown me away. So much so that, um, another plug, at Here Be Games, I've actually speaking to them about becoming a, a distributor for them in Australia because they don't have anyone in Australia to get the game. And so I'm speaking to oh, them about cool. minimums, et cetera, et cetera, because I want to stock the damn thing. Mm. Anyone who likes strategy games that you can play with people of any age, I'd say. And, you um, know, it, it's so simple the way that that piece of linen folds up for the board and the pieces are in it and that little hashem, it will literally fit in the front pocket of your backpack. It's not... Or your cargo a, shorts. Or your cargo shorts. Yeah. But the point is, it's not a big, lumpy box to carry around. It's, mm. you know... It but it's all... You could you could chuck it anywhere. Yeah. It's not a... Yeah, exactly. You can roll it up and take it any old time. <laughs> Matter of fact, I've got it now. <laughs> all right. Next game. What was next? Transmission or Forza Horizon? Uh, no, I think you said Transmission was next. Uh, this is where you do the right. talking. So, this is a game that I first read about on the forums. Um, I was talking about Pythagorea and how dumb I was. And, uh, <laughs> and another guy was talking about this strategy. Hey, hey dickhead, try this, you fucking... No, no, he didn't, oh, actually, right. he didn't actually directly mention me. It was in, it was in a sub-note. And he's, he's an intelligent uh, programmer guy who, who tends to... When he's got an opinion that's very well thought out and very well-reasoned, which I admire because it's not something I can do myself. <laughs> anyway... Um, Anyway, he talked about this puzzle game and, and how it was um, quite interesting and intriguing but difficult. I'm a sucker for puzzle games. Yeah, same. It's free. You right? got me already. <laughs> okay, well, on to Vorta. Okay, so this game is called Transmission and it started out actually as a uh, Congregate flash game. Have you yep. played those? Yes. You know the site Congregate? Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a free website where... People can develop and throw up games if anyone's interested. It's a lot of fun. We used to run forum games where we'd find a game a week. Yeah. And then everyone would go on and we'd post the leaderboard and see who could get the highest. No, anyway. Um, so it started out on there, but now it's available uh, on the web <coughs> or on mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you've laughed, I can't cut out that burp. <laughs> um, anyway. It's absolutely brilliant designed and it's just an amazing puzzle game. So the premise is very simple. Basically, you have to complete an on-screen representation of a communications network. And that involves transmitting packets of information from transmitter objects yeah. to receiver objects. Yep. Yeah. Okay? whole thing is presented similarly to a, an electronic diagram. 
Okay. So far it sounds like pipes, but okay. What's pipes? Oh, uh, is it called pipes? Where you effectively plumbing in the green goop is running from one side of the screen to the other, and potentially, got, yeah, different yeah. pipe, you know, junctions and sections that you're no, placing think, on I the board yeah, as tiles. I think it's going to be different. Okay. <clears throat> so, on each level, all the objects are set in place, and the way you play is by dragging your finger between objects, which creates a signal over which information packets can travel. Okay. So, for example, you might start the game with two objects. One is a transmitter with a transmitter with a piece of information, which is a so it's drawn as a circle, mm-hmm. um, and the the piece of information is a little coloured in cube that sits yep. outside that that circle. And the other object is a receiver, which requires one piece of information, which is represented by a square uh, for the receiver and a hollow cube in the middle of that to indicate the requirement of that receiver. So you then just drag your finger from the transmitter over to the receiver, a link between the two is created or a signal, and the information travels from one to the other, level requirement is met, job done, right? Simple enough. But the game is to... So that's how the game starts. And you go along and go, hey, this is fun enough, this is interesting. But the game's divided into worlds. And this is where the cleverness of the game really got me. So each world is based on a communications network, right? Okay. Or a type of network. Each one of those networks, more than just being a name and a theme, introduces a new puzzle element, which is both fresh and interesting whilst increasing the challenge and building what you've already learned, right? Okay. Core fundamentals of puzzle game, right? Yep, absolutely. Keep keep escalating. And the amazing thing about this game, though, is that it maintains or it remains balanced and it, it sort of never feels wasteful. Yep. Or forced. You know, some games get like that where you get to a point where you're fatigued with a mechanic or something yeah. a bit. This changes it often enough that you always feel like you're getting something new, but... So it's maintaining your interest. Yeah, yeah. maintaining my interest, but it's building on what you've learnt by playing the game so far. So, there's so no written... it's developing you as you progress through the levels. Yeah. Yep, okay. And, and it's, it, it progresses logically. Um, so first... First world is a telegraph network, right? Much like its namesake, simple networks, sending messages from one point to one point. Next world you can you encounter is a telephone network, which introduces things called transceivers. Yep. So when you pass information from a transmitter to a receiver, yep. it doesn't cease at that receiver. You can then pass that on to, say, a receiver. Yep. So if you had a transmitter, then a receiver that required one bit of information, then a... Oh, sorry... A transmitter, then a transceiver that required one bit of information, then a receiver that required one bit of information. You'll go from the transmitter to the transceiver. Yep. That information will be met. The bit of information still stays outside. It's a network. It doesn't consume the info. Yeah. And then you draw a line from that one to the receiver. Yep. And then you meet that one. So these these transceivers and, well, presumably all three of those elements have what some sort of... um, send and receive quota or something like that? Or yeah, so certain basically... Certain transmitters might send two bits of data? Is, is yes. that Right. Okay. When you get to computer networks, you start So you're matching up values sort of and, and effectively... Okay. Yeah, and the important part as well is say you've got... All right, say you've got a transceiver that's got two bits of information. Sorry, transmitter. Yep. It's got two bits of information. Then you've got a transceiver that requires one bit of information. If you draw a signal between yep. those two... The transmitter will send one bit of information yep. onto the transceiver, but the other piece will stay where it is. 
Right. So you can draw a line from that to another transceiver or, or to another, another receiver, receiver directly. but you need to manage the routes. And this yep. is where the complexity starts to come in because you need to manage the routes. Um, it gets into like the subtext, or not subtext, the, the dialogue that starts each level. And there's just little, you know, two, three sentences that describe the network. And they yep. talk about looping data and all this. The concepts... Behind the puzzle games oh, are just built. So for a bloke around. who does what I do for a living, this sounds awesome. Yeah, it's it's so clever, yeah. but it's a really fun game. Like it's, you were talking about it just recently. You don't need to know. I can't remember what we were talking about. I think it was a TV show. Yeah, it was Mr. Robot. Oh yeah, yeah. Right? You can enjoy that knowing what you know about IT. Yeah, but someone who doesn't know as much about IT as you, say your yep. wife, can enjoy the show. For all the yeah, elements. For its drama and yeah. its intrigue and everything else. Right? Yeah. Anyone can enjoy this game as a right. puzzle game. Yep. People like you will probably appreciate it even more for the source or the inspiration of, of you know. Oh, very good. I'll have to check it, it out. Is. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, you get computer networks, which give you multiple pieces. Um, and then you get broadcast towers, satellite relays. Then they introduce uh, colour to indicate going up to satellite and back down and then you've got color restrictions where you can't go past certain barriers so you get things that will change the color of the information to represent bouncing between satellites and receivers that are on the (laughs) earth and and then you get cellular transmitters and oh man it's it's just it's a it's astounding Sounds like something a Cisco certified engineer just sort of <laughs> spewed up one day well, and thought, hey, this could be a game. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, you might not like, I don't know, maybe you're too smart for it, but no no pressure. I'll just throw Jesus. that out there. <laughs> but it's not a long game. Yeah. Okay. The longevity comes from extra challenges. So I think there were maybe seven or eight different worlds. Yep. I think there's a total of about 70 levels uh and the first one in each world is a tutorial level so right. they don't teach you in words they teach you by showing you to do it. something yep. yeah yep. which is fine those ones are always worth one star later on you get things worth three stars don't cross the streams ghostbuster style <laughs> right um leave some uh nodes will have a little star beside them that indicates that an objective of that level, a bonus objective of that level, mm. is to find a solution and finish that level and leave a packet of information sitting on that node at the end. Ah, gotcha. Okay, okay. so they're, they're actually fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm finding myself having as much fun trying awesome. to figure out the way to solve the puzzle as well as, how do I solve it and get that? How on earth how do, do I, get I that leave extra a bloody party? packet on there? <laughs> and then, yeah, when you do, it's so, so goddamn rewarding. Very simple design. It really is just yep. line drawing stuff, um, but beautifully Which presented. Which is the way it should be, right? A good yeah. puzzler should be about the brain, not the mechanic of playing it. But the thing is that it's beautifully presented. Mm. Like, it's well... The transitions, the way it fades in and out, the subtle music, the way that levels start with that little paragraph about the network. Yeah. Hang on, I'll... Uh, well, I'm definitely going to have to check it out. I'm... I'm not that I'm going to review it here right now, but I'm, I'm playing the successor to Pythagorea, um, and that one is taking a lot more to do. Mark, if you're listening, look for it. We'll talk later. Um, and um, But I'm finding myself going, yeah, every now and then, oh, I wish I had another puzzler to just pick up and you know run with. So Yeah, so case in point, 
I'm just showing Dan the the introductory screen yep. for level three. I think it is. It's, it just has a heading telephone network, and it's got a little picture of how the um, yep. mechanics are going to work in the thing. And it says telephone networks send voice messages as electronic signals. The signals are switched between transmitters and receivers by central exchange. Yep. So the way that works is you've got these little broadcast towers, and when you send a packet to that, it's absorbed by the tower, but it's then transmitted, and every single uh, transceiver within range gets, gets one additional packet each. Right. Oh, and so it just adds... the balancing act is phenomenal. Then it, it sounds is amazing, yeah. but it I can't emphasize enough how it gives you all the information. It's not one of those games where you're going, "Oh, I wonder if that node is within reach of that tower." It makes it a hundred percent clear right. what is within range for what. It's well. So it's not discovery stand a pure mental yep. power to solve. Yeah, exactly. Sounds sounds like I, I like it. Yeah, cool. it's an amazing game. I've, <laughs> I've nearly finished it. I don't know what the last level is yet. I haven't quite got that many stars because, as yeah. I said, I got bogged down. But <laughs> I think you'll love it. Anyone who likes a puzzle game, it's free and it's loads of fun. And free. there's no... Ad- Actually, it's free and there's no ads and there's no microtransactions. Interesting. So I'm not entirely sure... Could have just been a passion project for someone. Nothing well, it's got a lot either. of polish for a passion project, yeah. but hey, whoever did it, not complain. You know, I should probably look up. I'll tag you in the uh, podcast. Get those, you know. Put it in the show hit, notes. Hits on uh, hits and stats. <laughs> 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 but yeah, thank you very much. It is. It's an amazing game. You'll love it. Cool. All right, last game, Forza Horizon Three. Forza Horizon Three. Did you manage to get onto it yet? Did you grab I the, demo? the demo? Yeah. Um, and I played to the end of the demo, but mm. then I think Which I doesn't mentioned take long, here does it? I don't have a. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with a gripe about the game. Go for it. Because I, I haven't talked enough so this episode. For, for <laughs> just, I guess, we're, we're going to skip the usuals here. Forza Horizon shouldn't need much of an introduction. Anyone who's... No, introduce it. Yeah, okay. It's a driving sim. Okay, so Forza Motorsport. Forza Motorsport is the sort of pure driving sim for the Xbox platform. It's it's a Microsoft title. Track based. Yep, track based, career mode. Um, You can go into arcade mode and do split screens and all that sort of stuff too. Um, Forza Horizon was Microsoft's bid to. What's the right word? Was to capture the need for speed market using the Forza platform. So what they've done is uh, they've created this concept. The Horizon is a music festival. Um, I've not played the first two, so put that on the record now. But certainly in the third one, you play the festival organiser and your job is to grow the festival. You do that by recruiting other drivers in the form of driver tars. My gripe about that soon. Um, (laughs) No spoilers, of course. Um, uh, So you do that by recruiting driver tar uh, drivers um, and... uh, you know, finishing races, performing PR stunts, all of that sort of thing to attract crowds. And as you reach certain levels of crowds, you can expand uh, the festival into either new levels within that region or expand into new regions. So you start out at Byron Bay, you can then expand into the Outback and uh, Surfers Paradise. Yeah, fire the 12 apostles. But at the, yeah, we'll talk about that too. But um, those festivals in those locations can also level up. So you can either level okay. up one when you get to a certain crowd level, you can either level one up or you can go open a new one if you need to open in one of those other locations. Wow, that's a really cool mechanic. It is cool because what it gets you to do is drive around and, and observe all the scenery. Hmm. So we'll start with the good stuff. The good stuff well, is... actually, before that, can oh, I explain on. Give us why your I haven't bought it? Yeah, go well, on. Well, it's not really... Oh, this is a general gripe in, about the Microsoft 
No, no, no. It's not what you think. Okay. So my Xbox One had a broken um, disk drive. Hmm. So I didn't want to buy it on Xbox One. The gripe Dan's alluding to is my issue with um, the Xbox console as a whole. It's reliability. I don't have live. No, no, not that, that gripe. I... No, no. Oh, okay. My... Well, yeah. so long story short, I was thinking, well, do I get it on there where I can play it with Dan? I'd have to get live. No, I'd have to get a new drive for the thing. Screw it. I'll get it on PC. And then I read about the cross-platform uh, yep. thing that Microsoft have. So you can buy the digital copy and then I can play it on PC and my Xbox. And I thought, you fucking beauty. Yeah. Because I will play it on PC and then I can, you know, if Dan's over, we can fire up split screen and we can, you know, play it on Xbox and I can have all my content and stuff yep. carry over. My gripe is that the digital version is $99 and at EB That's... Games or Oz Game Shop, you can get it. For, well, not EB Games. EB Games is probably $279. Um, <laughs> at Oz Game Shop or places like that, it's 50 60 bucks, right? So that's yeah. exactly the point oh, I was, was going to make. Okay. That was the gripe. <laughs> I thought so, you were going to... And that is my yeah. ongoing gripe ever since the release of the Xbox One mm. was that they made available... And, and it's always been there for 360 as well, but they've made more of a... Uh, a splash about the online store and being able to buy downloadable games and and they went all in on that they did say they would but the prices are still rec retail why would i pay 100 bucks for a download when for 65 well, well i waited a week and i got it for 65 bucks from oz game shop yeah. and it was well, in my mailbox within five days i actually think there is a reason to do it now and that's a cross-platform pie before possibly, I'm but not saying that that now, plays the only into way, their decision. The only way, okay, so the only way that would work in my mind, a yes, what they've done correctly for Windows 10 is made live available for. Sorry, folks, we will come back to Forza in a minute. They've made oh, yeah. live available for free on Windows. That's fine. They've got to somehow has been. Yeah. appeal to Steam users, and, and Steam you can just get onto the platform for nothing. The thing I disagree with is charging full price for the game as a downloadable one. Or, and or, not making codes for those games available for wholesale and then retail elsewhere. So I can buy Xbox Live codes from a number of different online sellers to, you know, give myself live points. I used to be able to buy Microsoft points before they just converted back to currency on your on your Microsoft account. Um, but what I can't do is buy actual codes to unlock games or game oh, really? content. That's all done through the Live Store or the Xbox Store or whatever they want to call it. Um, so I have a real issue with that because... Okay, that's actually different from the issue. In, in, in my mind, what they've done is they've just said, no, well, they've given this this thin veneer of saying, well, you can buy your live codes elsewhere and you can buy used to be able to Microsoft points elsewhere. Now it's like, no, no, we want it all. We want all the transactions. All your transactions that belong to us. To, yeah. And that shits me. I yeah. literally, you know, set a, a, an alert up on Oz Game Shop and said, let me know when the game drops below 65. Yeah. It came in at 64.99. I bought now. Yeah, bang, I didn't think you. about it. I just said, fucking oath, give it to me. Yeah. They're still charging 99 for the standard edition. I know. That's the, the worst. The, the next one is 119 and then 129 or some. They've done, that, they've done that price scaling very well. Yeah. Um, and we will get to talk about the game. But the, I just wanted to mention the thing that I find strange is, all right, now they offer it cross-platform. Yeah. It's the same price as every game before it has been, and there's not an option to buy for people like you who don't have a PC. You don't give a crap yeah. about playing it on PC. Why do you have to pay $99? Why can't you pay $69 and get a non-cross-platform version? The thing I don't understand is it costs more to deliver the game to me on media than digitally. Mm. So why charge me full price? 
That's the bit I just don't. Someone's got I to sit there and make up codes. I just and then check them manually against but every. But even other on code. their own store, yeah. even on their own store, why are they doing that? I just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, and you know what? If I'm going to buy a hundred and fifty nine dollar fucking Ultimate Edition Forza Horizon three, I want the goddamn case, keyring, and USB stick. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to buy that digitally, especially at that price. I reckon it's um. And this is going way off topic, so we may have to run late on this episode. But I think it's going to um, consumer habits. It's exactly the same way. Cross-reference to the Another Dungeon podcast. (laughs) Ben and Tim were uh, talking last week or the week before. I can't remember one of them about Gears of War 4 and something else. The Battlefield. Battlefield 1. And they were talking about how there's been a merging of freemium... Fucking microtransactions and full-price games. And the reason... Ben summed it up perfectly is because he said, we've been stupid and allowed this to happen. Mm -hmm. And consumers have. They have bought into this crap. And the thing is, Microsoft say, hey, look at all this stuff. They announce all this crap at E3. Everyone gets excited. And then everyone goes, oh... I'll pay an extra $99 because I want to be in on that stuff that everyone's hyped about at E3. Yep. And the thing is that we as consumers are encouraging them we to are. keep it's doing just, exactly... It's, and, you know, it's just the same as where to blame for encouraging early, paid early access. Oh, yeah, that, exactly. Then, it's all the same stuff. Anyway, so that that's anyway, the problem. That's yeah. why they're doing it. Anyway, the game. Back to Forza. Back yes. to Forza. So putting aside, I think, as, uh, as Ben put it... Uh, no, Tim put it a couple of eps ago on the... No, we're uh, done referencing On the Inferior podcast. podcast. Um <laughs> That um, questionable geography, and it is questionable. Uh, so, getting from Byron Bay to Surfers Paradise via the Twelve Apostles on the Great Ocean Road. Little hint, Microsoft. That's the level of creative control you shouldn't be taking, or creative mm. license you shouldn't be taking. So I don't have why. a problem with that. I don't have a. I don't have a problem with them condensing the world. I mean, we're a yeah. big country. We're a big land. I get that. You can't reproduce the whole thing because. And Okay, let's get into the good bits, uh, because this will start to make more sense. The thing I love about Horizon that Forza itself never gave me, open-wheel driving. Open-wheel driving with Forza mechanics, Forza cars, Forza game mechanics, that is not car mechanics, Forza cars, Mm. and and just the Forza experience been in an open-world sense, right? It's the arcade game version of the driving sim. It combines that arcade-y, fucking GTA V awesomeness of being just be able to drive everywhere or anywhere, But. but with Forza... Graphics, Forza Mechanics, and Forza Well, that's it. The physics engine is what separates... Like, you had games like Burnout Paradise, which I adored, right? But I don't like a lot of the Need for Speed games. I bought Rivals on Xbox. I can't stand that game. Forza took its um, physics, its mechanics... All that knowledge and then translated it perfectly. Yeah, they did. Game. Exactly. And, what and they got the licensing deals, so you're able to drive the awesome cars. You well, got they already had that. Ferraris. All they've done is they've taken it and then they've they've said, right, here's what we want to explore, the and they've come is, up with a new brand. For the it. thing is, Forza yeah. for me peaked. Forza Motorsport peaked at three. Forza Motorsport yeah, four is when they introduced driver tars. And I'm, uh, I'm no, not a fan of driver five tars. was driver tars. No, four had four driver tars. Yeah, four yeah. was driver tars, um, and that's where it. it Really, that sucked. The AI at, at Forza Motorsport 3 was just right. It wasn't It wasn't overly aggressive. It didn't do stupid shit like drive a straight line regardless of where other drivers were. Mm. It was reasonably responsive, sensible AI. It made sense. It drove like a driver. Mm. Driver tars behave... The only way I can put it is erratically. Yeah, they're it's an erratic algorithm they've complete, to, and then slap someone's name They've completely fucked up the AI driving in Forza. 
And it's been that way since number four. And so I was disappointed to see that was still there in Horizon 3. Um, mm. So that that's, you know, and, and a perfect example is one of the driver tars I had to recruit when I jumped onto the full version. Uh, one of the first three I had to recruit was you. Mm. Um, and we're driving along. Remember when driver tars used to be meant to be based on how you drove and how you positioned? And this is the point. You remember that? This is my point. <laughs> we're driving along, we're racing, I'm racing you, and we come to a straight stretch... And the next turn is a sweeping right-hand turn, right? Going around a, a mountainside beside the sea, blah, blah, mm. blah. And probably Great Ocean Road on the way Hope to I tried to push you Byron into the ocean. And for no reason whatsoever, you were on the right-hand... Uh, sorry, you're on the left-hand side. No, right-hand side. Sorry, you're on the right-hand side. I'm on the left-hand side. Yeah. So you would have kept your line and you would have smoothed out the curve at the apex like you normally would. For no reason whatsoever, you swerved left and pushed me into the wall. No, that sounds like something I'd do. Yeah, it does sound like something you'd do. It was a bad example. Because Dave's a prick, folks. Um, but the point is, that is not, know, yeah, if yeah. you were racing competitively, you wouldn't do that because you disadvantage yeah. yourself at the same time. Well, yeah. And your driver tar did. You spun out and I won, I got ahead and I exactly. won. But that's not how you would drive. So they've taken nothing about the way you've driven in previous motorsport, Forza Motorsport games. Surely someone just, must want this. They've just all they've done is they've fucking looked at my friends list and whacked a name on yeah, there and well, said, played "Here's the game a driver." Yet, other than the demos, well, so. there is. I mean, there's a lot of reused code in 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 Forza Horizon Three um, that mm. I've seen elsewhere. The car designer, you know, pl- applying vinyls and decals and all that sort of shit. That's all there, which is great. Okay. You can upload your designs to the marketplace. You can download yeah, other designs. Yeah. Oh, I do because I like I like to get into that racing feel. Right now, I'm, I'm mid design on a Martini traditional Martini racing for my. <laughs> Um, so that bit still appeals so a lot of the good stuff of Forza is still there the mechanics are great you've got the the license content as always so Mm. you're driving some great cars but for me the reason pure and simple set in Australia Australian vehicles so and that that bit they have not overdone they have not overbaked it they have not employed American actors with really bad Aussie accents they haven't no well, I didn't like the Aussie accents I heard well it pro- it's okay, probably it's probably a bit jarring because you're hearing American and, and then there's the Irish bird that, that's meant to be your PA or whatever yeah. um, so maybe it, it feels a bit jarring next to those but the accents themselves aren't that bad if you listen to them in isolation, they're not that bad. They're just Aussie. I work in Springvale. Maybe it's not the accents I'm used to. For it. <laughs> um, but I'm loving, I'm loving the cars. So you know, you, you've got your barn finds. I don't know if that existed in previous ones, but you're it driving did. around yeah. picking up barn finds. So I've already grabbed the Sandman panel van. Can't wait to pick that fucker oh, up and drive it down the beach. Fantastic! Yeah. So you can pick up real cars. So in the previous games, you could pick up cars, and they were like. Multi-million dollar nah, pieces nah, nah, of nah. shit. That These are, yeah. So I've, I've grabbed the Sam. There's that, 15 yeah. barn finds in total. I only, <clears> I've <throat> only grabbed two so far. Um, the Sandman panel van and the Ferrari Dino. So I'm looking forward to driving both of those. <laughs> awesome, just awesome. Um, and the- I'm waiting for you to find the FJ Ute, and you go, oh shit, that leads a needs a lot of work. <laughs> and then you go and get it, and looks exactly the way you left it, but it's got tires on it and a working battery. <laughs> yeah, that's we can, it. We can hear is the Easy Bees playing in the background. It's a big M, just a big M, strawberry big M sitting on the fucking bonnet. Um, but the one thing that stands out to me the most is, and I kid you not, I've done plenty of driving. I love driving. I'm a big fan of cars. Um, and uh, real one, driving, you're talking real about, driving, yeah, yeah, actual yeah. driving. The one thing that struck me was. The feeling of driving on Australian roads, they got it right. Mm. 
it actually, I've driven through Surface Paradise a number of times. It felt like I was driving a Surface Paradise. Um, when you get into the scrubby parts, you know, just you know, off the beaten track, it feels like you're driving on Australian roads. Mm. The colour of the asphalt's right. The bins out the front of the house are our wheelie That's bins. That's amazing, yeah. They've got the detail right. I'm so, going to have to play it again. I think I must have a setting wrong on my TV because I've heard what you just said from a lot of people. Mm. And the trees are right. The houses are right. Everything about it is right. Did you the do the colour? Just looks way you do the, too saturated. The gamma setup and everything at the start. Where you? Oh, it's just gamma though. Yeah. I'm talking saturation. The colours yeah. are way too. Maybe bright check your TV for... or something. But to me, it just works. It yeah. it feels right. So like it looks beautiful, but it just looks way too col- like a uh, trine or something like yeah. that. You know what I mean? On balance, I would say I love Forza um, Horizon Three. I really do. I, I rate it absolutely. Still pissed off at the driver tars. Um, and Can you turn them off? I don't think so. They seem to be an integral part of the, the sort of careerish mode of, of building it. Ah, so in the previous two games, you're a um, you're a contender, right? And you're working your way up through the championship, winning new yeah. Um, you know, so technically career mode wristbands. To, uh... <laughs> technically career mode. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the basic premise behind the story. I love the idea that you're the Yeah, event this organizer. is you're the festival organiser. You don't have to race in the events. You can, but you don't have to. Um, you want to because it helps attract more fans. And fuck it, you're doing yeah. this because you want to race cars. Mm. Um, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, so look, it's got all the goodness of Forza Motorsport, but it's got open-world driving, which works for me. Put aside the geography because it really doesn't matter. It's it's no. irritating, but it's not important. If you see the names. But you, if they took the names out of it, it'd be fine. doesn't matter. It, yeah. It's irritating, but unimportant in the scheme of things. Driver tars still suck. And Microsoft fucking figure it out with the live store. That pricing for downloadable version is shit. I don't know that they listen. I'll, I'm, I'll send them a copy. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's interesting. So I'm, I'm definitely... It's on my Christmas list. Mm. Hint, hint. Um... Now that I've fixed my Xbox Does Kirsty C- listen? CD drive. <laughs> I already told her before the podcast, sorry. Uh, <laughs> that and Civ 6. Anyway, um, the... So, I really loved Forza. Mm. I used to... I remember, shit, 10 years ago, whenever I first started working with you, you, yeah. you Pags and I, playing awesome. and, and awesome. having some really, really fun... And the peak was Forza 3. They just got everything nailed. Yeah, I'd agree. And see, I never... F- no, I did finish Forza 3 and I, I went through, started, and started trying to get every event. Yeah. Forza 4, it just became... Pedestrian. They had 14 tracks <clears throat> and they changed the car. It didn't feel like anything was different. Yeah. And they just made it circuit. One of the, uh, the games we talked about a while back, I think we talked about Rural Racing 3, didn't we? Uh, I don't know, but we both played them, I know. Okay, so yeah. that game... They they have a, a, a it's a shitty sim, but anyway, they have a um, career mode, but they mix it up. Mm. There's lapping cars, there's time trials, there's they mix all that stuff up. Forza became just circuit racing for me, yeah. and you race the same fourteen tracks, and the races just became longer and longer, and it got so boring. Yeah. Then Forza Horizon One came along, and I was like, oh my god, they've taken. They've taken someone else's idea. Let's not yeah. be under any oh, it's not original. That it's no, no, original no, 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 it's not original. Um, they've taken that, but they added their mechanic. They perfected it. Yeah. And then they did so it So their driving physics, their driving physics, yeah. their, their high-def graphics, all of that just yeah, placed yeah. You into the Horizon game or the, the, the open-world yeah. driving. I loved it. Loved and it. I think that's a smart move for them because they've separated Forza from Forza Horizon. So they've taken the... 
arcadey mechanics yep. and the feel of it and throwing that in one game yeah. and kept the other as the sim for the people who are just into those long, boring ass round and round. Oh, look, fucking I, so I never finished any single Forza Motorsport. The reason being, I never wanted to do any of the Enduros. I'm not an Enduro racer. Oh, I don't. Really? I don't want to so see you there. wouldn't have come to my real life Bathurst. <laughs> no, um, but I don't. I'm not interested in doing that sort of racing <laughs> on on a console. Mm. I'm, I'd rather just do five, six laps or three lap races, mm. short, sweet, fun, and move on to the next thing. Yeah, that to me is how I enjoy my racing sims. Well, Horizon focuses a lot more on the action. It does. It's less about perfecting and getting that exact right balance. Of driving line yeah. speed. One last little gripe, one last tiny little gripe. It's not huge, but there is also a bucket list of challenges or oh, shit yeah. you have to do. And so far, just about every single one has been about fucking drifting, which is oh, not yes. driving. And it shits me. I really? don't give a fuck who you are. Drifting is not driving. It's skidding with style, but it's not driving. I and love I, drifting. I just I find it such an uninteresting way of driving a car. I, I, so I shouldn't have bought you initial D for your uh, Christmas <laughs> present? Damn it. Just, you know, <laughs> balls to the wall, pedal to the metal, flat out driving, taking corners and overtaking and all of that. That to me is the fun bit. Yeah. Just speed. You know what? I chatted to people about this once before because uh, I'm not the same. I like drifting in real life, like proper drifting hmm. on a track. I don't really like it in games and I'm not very good at it. But there are a large percentage of the audience who love that I know. stuff. And, and, and that's like, why I said it's what? not a major gripe it's, because... It's a minor part of the game I don't have me. to do I it. Have, yeah. I can ignore those. It doesn't impact me. It's not in my way. Yeah. I understand why it's there, but, you know, I don't like it. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. We've gone well over. That's all right. Beer. Pintail Pale Ale, courtesy mm. of uh, Dan's Axe Grafting. <laughs> That's not a euphemism, folks. I actually ground an axe. Um, <laughs> so, remind me, where do we get to? 3.75 on the... What was the last... Last one we did was a... We didn't oh, review... Wow. It was the Beechworth... Um, yeah, it was the Beechworth pale yeah. ale, wasn't it? Yeah, well, That was the last pale ale we did. came in at 3.75 yep, on that. Each. Yeah, Yep. So, for me, I'm going to go first this time. Screw you. Go for it. It, it reminds me a little bit of the James Squire. It's it very fruity. Got that bitter um, bitter taste at the end. I'm enjoying it more than... So I enjoyed the James Squire by the end. Yeah. But at first sip, I was like, I'm really oh, yeah, not going to enjoy this. You, you said it felt a lot like white wine and beer mixed. Yeah, and yeah it did. Off. Yeah. It did. Which is fine if you happen to like that flavor. I don't. Yeah. This is a little bit too fruity for me. I could drink it if I was given one, but I don't think I'd actually go and buy it. So it's a 2.5 for me. It's a very nice beer and I can see why people would like it, but I just don't. Not for me. So to me, it has the right characteristics of a pale. Um, So I don't have an issue with that. It's certainly a well-made pale. Um, In terms of the flavor, I'm inclined to agree with Dave. It's just just a touch too fruity for me. But I'm not quite as harsh as, as your score. I'm going to give it a three because it is a pale that if there were no other pails, I would certainly enjoy for an evening. <laughs> um, if it was the last beer on no, earth, I'd maybe no, In fact, that's probably, that's probably not even <laughs> doing it justice there. There's a few other pails I would certainly put below this. Mm. Um, 
But if you put this in front of me with something like Beechworth or the Cricketers Arms that we drank mm. um, a, a few eps ago, um, this would not come out on top. So yeah. I'll give it a three. All right. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening, everybody. As mentioned at the uh, start of the podcast, you can f- give us feedback, comments, send us hate mail, subscribe us to Chainlist, yeah. Hungry Jack's Birthday Club, <laughs> whatever you like, podcast at anotherdungeon.com. You can find us at wooshka.com, podbrose.com, twitter.com forward slash another dungeon, twitch.com forward slash another dungeon. Is it twitch.tv forward slash another dungeon? I'm sure you can go to both. I'm just saying it's Twitch TV Twitch.com URL anyway um, yeah because that won't be taken Dave (laughs) with five I's and X's at the start and the end and numbers instead of letters like Bogan's number plate Um, YouTube.com no ignore that another dungeon.com forward slash YouTube because they're still bricks Uh, or where you're just going to keep back in that drum aren't you (laughs) I firmly believe that it is ridiculous not letting you use your own username. I don't disagree with you, but I firmly believe no one at Google gives a shit about what you think No, they don't. They've um, made that abundantly clear. Because if you get more than 5,000 views, those guys, wow, they they seem to be able to get their uh, their names changed. They can get things done. Yeah, funny. Um, What haven't I said? Uh, You said the Twitters. You said the Twitch. You you guys know where to find us. Um, Listen to another ep. We said all the good shit at the end of those. Yeah, I really should do a pre-recorded outro. Maybe I'll that could work. slap it in now. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of slapping <laughs> things. But what? Nothing said. Move on. I hope you're going home for that. <laughs> Thank you for listening, ladies and gentlemen. We'll speak to you again next week. Have a good night. Cheers. Bye. 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 Maybe I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I'll pipe it in now. Just a touch too fruity for me. Bye, 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 bye. <laughs> <laughs>